Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Welcome back to Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. It's great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson. And Yale University, of course, has long been held as having one of the top legal collegiate programs in the country. Federal courts regularly pull their clerks from Yale graduates, quickly exposing them to the top legal minds or procedures that keep our judicial system running. But over the past few years, there's been some disturbing incidents and trends regarding free speech uh, at Yale. And uh, the question is, what's happening on campus with students and faculty? What are the shifts that we're seeing uh, on campus? And uh, to help us break all of that down, uh, Sarah Isger, who, of course, is a writer for The Dispatch. She's the host of the legal podcast Advisory Opinions for The Dispatch. She's also an attorney, political commentary uh, commentator, and a former spokesperson in the United States Department of Justice. And, uh, Sarah, you had a great piece in Politico uh, with a with a title that got us all kind of leaning in, that you're a conservative who got heckled at Yale Law School, but not by who you think. Tell us about it. Well, thanks for reading the piece and being interested in it. Yeah, so this past spring, I spoke to the Yale Federalist Society and got, I mean, heckled is maybe a strong term, <laughs> but kind of, um, by one of the conservative students. And it highlighted for me that while I think a lot of us on the sort of conservative side of the spectrum have seen the free speech problems as being almost exclusively, you know, cancel culture, that the left Mm -hmm. is shutting down conversations, in some ways it's been a race to the bottom because conservative students, especially in these, you know, liberal-dominated spaces like Yale Law School, are learning to fight fire with fire in a lot of ways, and they're absorbing those same tactics. They also don't want to engage with people who disagree with them. Or in this case, it was actually that I had hugged someone in the Yale Law School administration who they perceived as their ideological enemy. And so the heckling was actually that I was courteous to someone they didn't like. Wow. How dare you, Sarah? Can you, I can't imagine that you would be kind to someone. That's uh, that's really radical territory. She had congratulated me on having a baby, um, so you know I could have hit her in the face, but uh, <laughs> that was great restraint this, on your it part. Highlights, <laughs> it highlights this larger problem. You know, back in the day, people used to be heralded for their bipartisan friendship. Yeah. Um, that used to be a sign of strength of one sort of own principles and moral position, and now it's seen as the exact opposite. That you must not believe what you mean if you're able to be. Uh, courteous to engage with someone who disagrees with you on on fundamental questions. I will acknowledge their fundamental questions, but especially at a law school, the number one ranked law school in the country, 
uh, the left-wing students and the right-wing students really have no more interest in debate. Wow. And that's uh, to me, that's the, the real challenge is if we can no longer even be curious. I mean, I think a college campus is designed for that, like to foster our curiosity and to make us lifelong learners. Uh, and if we're suddenly unable to do that, to say, I wonder why she thinks that way or I wonder why he believes that's a good position, uh, then our, I think our institutions really have failed us. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Well, on the left, it's been sort of this downward spiral of virtue signaling, because the, the people who are rewarded are the ones who have the most virtuous extreme position, who say that they can't tolerate anyone, um, you know, to the right of them. And so... It, you keep moving then further and further to the left. So in one example that happened at Yale Law School last year, a um, Native American student who was conservative sent out an email inviting people to a party at his house, and he called it his trap house. And many of the liberal law students, you know, wanted him punished because they said that was basically amounted to blackface cosplay was a term that they used. Mind you, the most popular liberal podcast in the country is called Chapo Trap House, and it's hosted by three white guys. And so there's also just not a lot of consistency going on. It's all about seeking out the most extreme position and then forcing everyone to come to you. Uh, that's uh, And that's the ultimate in intolerant tolerance, right? Everything in the name of tolerance, we can no longer, no longer right. tolerate anybody at all. One of the really fascinating things to me in, uh, in your piece, Sarah, uh, was just some of the worry that uh, people have both uh, on the left and the right for their institutions. Uh, but they've, they've gone from what I think is the real danger zone. They've gone from being... Uh, whether it's a silent majority or a silent minority, they've become a secret majority or secret minority that they can't even raise questions anymore. Well, and this is a real problem within the sort of law school administration and faculty. I've talked to many of these people. They are deeply concerned for the institution and for this next generation of lawyers that we're releasing onto the world who don't actually want to do sort of the main thing that our legal system requires, which is advocacy. Um, and engaging with the other side's best arguments. But they're worried for their own jobs and for their own reputations. We've seen plenty of professors, you know, punished for not towing the the orthodoxy, whichever that and whatever that may be. Um, and so you can say that they're not being courageous or brave enough, but the fact is that the incentives are very poorly aligned. You know, mm. last year at Yale Law School, uh, the left-wing students shut down an event um, that – 
actually a progressive and a conservative were hosting together on the importance of free speech. The irony appeared to be lost on everyone. (laughs) And in doing so, they were basically stomping and screaming outside the room of the event. It actually shut down a faculty meeting that was on the other side of the hallway. And those faculty members just left. They didn't do anything. Police ended up being called so that those speakers could leave safely. It was a huge, huge problem. And even though Yale's free speech policy very clearly covers disrupting university events, nothing happened. Wow. Uh, You also noted in your piece, Sarah, that uh, it was interesting in September that the uh, conservative Fifth Circuit judge, uh, James Ho, announced that he would no longer accept clerkships uh, applications from uh, Yale law students. So tell us about that. Well, and this is then the real problem of how do you fight fire? And for a lot of people, that's going to be with fire. And so, yes, this Fifth Circuit judge has said that he will not hire future Yale law graduates, meaning if you choose to attend Yale after the year that they just had, where he believes that a lot of conservative speech wasn't tolerated, um, that he doesn't, he's not going to reward Yale, basically, by hiring those students. On the one hand, that absolutely punishes conservative students who are fighting the good fight at Yale. On the other hand, Yale really benefits from those clerkship numbers. So, for instance, this year, Yale had eight of its graduates at the Supreme Court. Seven of those were clerking for conservative justices. And Mm. so the point that Judge Ho would make is, and I'm putting words in his mouth here, but something to the effect of Yale is punishing conservative students when they're on campus and then reaping the benefits of those conservative students when they leave and go clerk. Wow. Fabulous. And uh, yeah, you, you closed out talking about uh, the interesting connection as religious commitment has decreased, politics has become the new faith, uh, but that often doesn't help us get any closer to any kind of real tolerance uh, or any kind of real conversations. So politics is something we can debate and we can compromise and we can agree on the problem and not the solution and seek, you know, agree that the other person also wants what is best for the country. But religion isn't like that at all. Religion is an article of faith, and religion doesn't tolerate heretics. And so what we're seeing, I think, as religiosity in the country declines is that people are still searching for that sense of belonging and meaning in their lives, and unfortunately, they're finding it in politics. And I say unfortunately because, you know, on the one hand, (laughs) me included, used to bemoan there were all these people who weren't engaged in our political world, in our experiment of self-government. It turns out that now we do have some of the highest voter turnout in our country's history by percentage. But it's not coming from a good place. It's coming from this sense that if the other side wins, your way of life um, is in jeopardy, that the country itself may cease to exist as we know it. And those kind of stakes don't make for compromise and for, you know, believing the good in the other. Yeah. Uh, great insight as always. Sarah Isker's a writer for The Dispatch. She's the host of the legal podcast Advisory Opinion for The Dispatch. Sarah, thanks for joining us. Happy Thanksgiving to you this week. Happy Thanksgiving. All right. We'll step aside for bottom of the hour news. More coming up next. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? 
Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.